It is a beautiful morning. It's a great, uh, great morning to get up and get moving and gather with God's people in worship, isn't it? Thanks to, uh, to the drama ministry. Thanks, Chris, for, for bringing that to us and raising that question about worship. Can we, can we live a life um, that's faithful to Christ uh, apart from a worshiping community? A couple years ago, I was privileged to be in China listening to a number of, of people who, who lead ministries in China. Some were pastors, some just led ministries of other sorts. And one of the pastors that we met told us his story about uh, leading a church that continued to grow and grow and grow. And it was the type of church that it, uh, it was an unregistered church with the, with the country of, of China. Uh, in China, you typically have, we may think of, of two different kinds of churches. One, a church that, that is registered with the, with the government, and then an unregistered church, or which we typically think of as being a house church or an underground church. But this, this particular pastor and, and a number of other pastors along with him had come to this, this place where they had decided that they didn't want to be like underground they didn't want to be underground with their faith. They wanted to be out in the open. The, the people of their church wanted to be out in the open. But they also didn't want to have to be under the, the auspices of the, of the government. So they decided, let's try a new wave, a new innovation within our own country w- with where we're at. Let's see if we can worship openly and yet stay unregistered. So for years they did. They worshiped openly. They stayed unregistered. And they, as they grew... They decided that they needed to build a building. So they built a building that could seat thousands of people because they, they were a church of about 30,000. It's a massive gathering of people who were unregistered, out in the open for everyone to see. So they built this ginormous building, and as they finished it, and, you know, and the government, everybody's watching. And I don't know if they had building permits or what they, what they did, you know, but they, they built this enormous building as as it was finished, and they're getting ready to occupy it, that's when the government sent along sentries, and they posted sentries outside the building, and they put up signs, this isn't, you know, this building is not fit for occupancy yet. So the church at that moment faced this situation. What are we going to do? The pastor started to go to the government officials and plead their case, and the church said, you know, the government officials said, no, we're not going to allow you to meet. We're not going to allow anyone to occupy this building yet. So through their network of, of uh, communication, they sent word out to the entire church, we're going to meet in the park on Sunday. And so they started to meet in a park that was large enough to, to hold that many people. And then as they began to meet in the park, the, the government officials said, um, typically on a Saturday night, that we'd like to have a conversation with the pastor. So this pastor told us, he said, on Saturday nights, as I was getting ready for worship the next day, I would hear a knock on my door. And there would be a couple of police officers there who would say to me, Pastor, we'd like to have a conversation with you. And would you come with us down to, our, down to the police station? So I'd go down to the police station, and the conversation would last until Monday morning. And it continued to do that week after week after week. Even as the pastor was at the police station, the church continued to gather and to meet in the park. 
And as they continued to meet, police officers were sent to the park as well. And they would stand around the outside, or they would mingle among the crowd. They would mingle among the church people who were gathered. Some, of course, would, uh, they'd sense apprehension, a little bit of fear. But most were glad for the, for the opportunity to witness to Christ in that place. The pastor said, going through all of this experience raised questions for us about how we understood church to be. But what we continued to have at, the, at our core being was this sense that we needed to gather for worship. No matter what, um, no matter what happened in the world around us, we needed to be together as the church for corporate worship. Because corporate worship is something that feeds us and it's, it's essential to, to who we are. It's essential for us in following after Jesus. In a little book that uh, was written by a lady by the name of Ann Ortland, she wrote in there uh, the comparative of, of worship and its essentialness to the comparative of intimacy in marriage. She said, as intimacy is to marriage, so is worship to our ability to follow after Jesus. She said, if, you know, if, if you're in a, a marriage relationship, you know that uh, if intimacy go, goes, other things begin to, to rise up and to cause problems. And Ann Ortland said, we just can't follow Christ like we're meant to if we're not gathered together in worship. Worship is essential. Um, it's not just something that you can find stated within, like, someplace in the church in China or in the writings of Ann Ortland. But Luke, in the gospel, paints a, a fascinating picture of the disciples after Jesus ascends into heaven, and they display for us this the sense that worship, corporate worship, is something that we all need to be a part of. And we're going to take a look at that passage right now. Uh, you'll find it, Luke 24, if you have your Bibles with you, if you've got a device and you want to look at it, I encourage you to go there. Luke 24, 44 to 53, these are the last few verses of Luke's gospel. And he writes this. Uh, Jesus, this is Jesus talking, Jesus said to them, these are, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, this, thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, but you are my witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending you upon I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, Jesus blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them, and he was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. The word of God for the people of God. 
One of the things that Luke points out to us in this passage of Scripture is that the disciples, after Jesus ascends, continued to meet. And he says they continued to meet on a daily basis. They met in the temple and they worshipped. They continued to meet. And as they continued to meet, they encountered Jesus. And they continued to meet because they needed to know more of who Jesus is. And that's one of the things that's, that's fascinating about that text. If you go back and you, you look at it again, Luke says that as they, as they worshipped, Jesus unpacked who he was because he pointed back to the Old Testament and to the prophets. And he pointed to this reality that he was always... Um, he was always present with the people of God. Jesus, w- there was never a time when, when he wasn't giving witness to who he was. And, and he points this out to people who've traveled with him for three years. Now, these people who've traveled with Jesus, his disciples, they've been traveling with him for three years. They've seen, they've seen him uh, teach, or they've, they've listened to him teach. They've watched him do miracles. They've watched him do healings. They've, they've got a sense about who he is. And yet, as he points back into the Old Testament and to the prophets, he starts showing them more about who he is. And in fact, uh, in the upper room discourse, Jesus says, there's a whole lot more to who I am than you have yet to know, than you've yet to encounter. And the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and the Holy Spirit's going to remind you about things that I've said, and the Holy Spirit's going to show you who I am, um, and in fact, that's the promise of the Father. We'll get to that in just a minute. But he, he says, there's more that you need to know about me. In fact, right before this passage in Luke 24, right before Jesus says all these words, there are two people who have heard the story about his being resurrected. And they're concerned about that, and they don't know what to make about that. And so they go for a walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And along the way, they find a fellow traveler, somebody else, and they don't know who this person is, and they tell a person about their conundrum, they tell this person about their questions, and they journey with this person, and the person begins to point back to the Old Testament and reminds them of the stories that they've heard from long ago, and when they get to this house in Emmaus, they ask the fellow traveler to stay with them, and as they go in and they get ready for supper, this fellow traveler takes bread and he breaks the bread. And Luke tells us that it's Jesus who's been in their midst. Jesus has been unpacking for them who he is. And in the midst of their questions, in the midst of their, their seeking understanding, Jesus is present. Um, you know, when we gather in worship, one of the things that that drama pointed out so well is that we gather with lots of other people. And not just people who are here, but we gather with people from all across the spectrum of, of time and space. Um, there's something that connects us to everyone else, but there's somebody else who m- meets with us and comes and stands in our midst, and that person's Jesus himself. Jesus comes and he uh, is present here with us now. Because there's something really great and significant about seeing one another face to face. But the disciples knew that what they really needed and the person that they really needed to see was Jesus himself. One of the things that's been helpful to me 
about this series, the Good and Beautiful, the Good and Beautiful series, really going back to really the beginning with the Good and Beautiful God and the Good and Beautiful, uh, um, the Good and Beautiful Life, and then now the Good and Beautiful Community, is that there are attributes about Jesus that I've seen in greater reality or or better relief. There are things that Jesus has brought to my attention and really spoken into my own heart as we've been gathered in worship and as we've entered into some some G12 experiences. Like one of the things that um, in the first book about the good and beautiful God, James Bryan Smith encourages us to say, um, when you think about who God is, when you think about the nature of God, and when you think about how God interacts with our world, he says, you know, one of the things we ought to really listen to are the stories Jesus tells us. And we ought to, we ought to understand God from the framework of, of who Jesus says God is. And as, as we went through that book, as we went through the worship experiences here, as we went through um, the, the soul training exercises and the G12, it was like Jesus was just coming back to me and saying, this, this is a great truth that James Bryan Smith has been bringing up. You know, in the midst of your world, there are a lot of people who want to paint um, pictures of God with lots of different brushes. But look at the picture of God that I paint. Think about the Father in the ways that I talk about the Father. And when you think about the Father in that way, you will see that the Father is love and is merciful and is just. And you'll understand what all of those different attributes of the Father are, how they all fit together. And the good and beautiful life, James Bryan Smith took us back to listen to Jesus talk out of the, the Sermon on the Mount. And I don't know if you've ever read the opening passages of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says all of these different people are blessed. You know, and Jesus talks about blessed are those who weep and mourn and blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And if you've ever read those and you haven't been in those places, maybe you wondered, like, well, I wonder if I could be blessed. And, and James Ryan Smith just said, listen to Jesus say these words again. And he said, maybe what Jesus is really saying is that there are a lot of people in the world who never feel like God blesses them and cares about them because they haven't been blessed in, in the framework of their culture. And as I listened to that passage again, it's like Jesus was just speaking, not, not in an audible voice, but he was just bringing all of that stuff back up, and it was something fresh and new. And he's like, you know, when I told the disciples that I love the world, I really mean that I love the world, everyone in the world. And everybody gets to be blessed. Um, probably the thing that Jesus just seemed to be striking a, a really resonant chord with me on was was a line in one of the books where James Bryan Smith says, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, and he has this sense about him that the kingdom is not in trouble. And every time I, I uh, go to my favorite web page for news, it's like I read the headlines and everything on that web page just screamed like the world is falling apart. Trouble is all around us. And yet in the, midst of a, in the midst of a G12, a group of people who are um, gathered together and they're 
just encountering the words of Jesus, it's like Jesus comes into our midst and we laugh and we have a great time. In the midst of uh, preparing for worship even today, some, uh, the pastors and other people who are involved in worship, we gather up in the, up in the hospitality room. And I wish you could have been there. Because, you know, stuff outside, it often says that there's trouble and there's foreboding and there's dark clouds. And we were gathered up in that room and we were just anticipating worship and there was laughter. In fact, there was so much laughter that Pastor Jim, he put on the, the wrong color stole this morning. We're in Lent, we're supposed to be in purple. And he's like, I'm so happy, red looks like purple. <laughs> I love it. It's too exciting. Because the kingdom is never in trouble. And Jesus just brings that sense to us. Disciples gather after Jesus goes back. After he goes back to the Father, they gather for worship all the time because, man, they just, they just need to encounter him. And he shows up. When they gather together, Jesus shows up. And he shows new stuff about who he is and who they are. One of the things that happens in worship, uh, Luke says, here they're gathered together and Jesus speaks new stuff to them and he, he continually reminds them. He says in, the, in these past few verses of Luke 24, he says, and I'm going to send you into all the world. I'm going to send you to Jerusalem, but you're going to be my witnesses there, and you're going to be my witnesses throughout all the world. Jesus has a task for them to do. They've been traveling with him, and they've been able to see him do things, and, and he's invited them to, to do things along with him. In fact, he sent them out. He's, he's already sent out the 12, and then he sent out the 70, and he said, you know, go teach and go heal and Go announce the forgiveness of sins. Go do everything that you've seen me doing. And when they gather in Jerusalem, they're trying to, they gather for worship. Jesus has placed this calling upon them, this sense of mission. And uh, if you've ever had a sense of mission placed upon you, a calling upon you, I'm going to guess that you've had questions that have gone along with that. Questions like this, like, uh, how are we supposed to carry this off? Jesus had this divine power. He had the Holy Spirit upon him. He, had, he, was, he was all divine, but how are we supposed to go into the world and be his witnesses? How are we supposed to go places and announce the forgiveness of sins? How are we supposed to leave our homeland and go to some place like, like Egypt? Or how are we supposed to leave our homeland and go to some place like Rome? How are we supposed to do all of the things that Jesus said to do? In the midst of their gathering together, they were able to bring these questions. And they're able to hear people uh, bring back stories about what God was up to. As they gathered in, in Jerusalem, they were able to hear the stories about, like, a guy by the name of Philip later on in the book of Acts, who is, who's just motivated by the Spirit to go down and catch up with an Ethiopian eunuch who's returning to Ethiopia. Now, Philip isn't sure how he has the capacity to do everything that he does, but he's able to return to Jerusalem and tell the story about how this Ethiopian accepted the gospel and took on who Jesus was and um, encountered the fullness of Christ. 
Jesus brings this sense of mission, and his followers have this great question. What's God's mission for your life? What's the mission he's placed upon you? What are the questions that you're struggling with? I was thinking about all the questions that God has answered in my own life as I've been in worship. Like when I was a teenager, about Matthew's age, I started to wonder about what my vocation was going to be. What was I going to do with the rest of my life? What was I going to give it to? And there were moments in worship where God clarified what that would look like. And then I'll never forget, um, Anna and I had just begun dating. In fact, we hadn't been dating for more than a month. And we were in, in my home church in worship one Sunday morning. And the, uh, the pastor got up to speak after Anna and her uh, a friend of hers had just sung uh, a musical number. They did, you know, spe- unlike the, well, like the choir, they had a musical number that they sang. And, and my friend who was dating Anna's friend, you know, he poked me. He's like, you know, they're really good singers. And I'm like, yeah, they're really good singers and all that stuff. And we were kind of infatuated with these two girls. And, and the pastor gets up and he says, looks like a couple of keepers, boys. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> and my friend is like, yeah. And I'm like, I think I need to get out of here, you know. And uh, uh, I, well, Anna, at least, or, or we both, we kept one another and our friend, and, and they, they didn't. But it was, it was fascinating how these, these questions that you bring with you in life, when you bring them to worship, it's like, God has a way of saying something and revealing something and, and answering your questions. I was in a conversation this past week, and they were <clears throat> somebody was telling me about how they've been wrestling with retirement and, like, when to retire, when's the right time, and, and what's their work going to be after they retire. And, you know, the amazing thing is that somehow God, God begins to speak to those questions, too. And in fact, not, it's not just like life stage questions, but it's questions even in the midst of life stages, like where are we at? What's our mission? What's the burden that we ought to be carrying? God, what are you, what are you up to in our world? What are you up to in our church? One of the big questions that I'm facing right now is this whole idea of a transformation hub at Schweitzer. How are we supposed to carry that out? What's it supposed to look like? And there's a lot of unknowns. But here's the deal. I know that the Spirit leads us when we gather for worship. I know that the Spirit clarifies things when we gather for worship. And sometimes it's it's not a long, great discourse, but the Spirit speaks a great word. 